So uh, were you here last week to hear Pastor G bring the word of God? Uh Uh-huh, you got some words spoke to you last week, didn't you? Man, what a phenomenal sermon, and uh, your first one here with us, but it will not be your last, because we're going to keep bringing you back as you continue to share. Last week, Pastor G, he, um, he hit on love hardcore, and so right now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn, last week he talked about love hardcore, okay? He talked about agape, um, he hammered that in. If you left here last week and did not know what agape love was, you was not listening. You were sleeping, You should have got some coffee before you came to church. Um, So I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to tell them, how did I show the agape, the love of Jesus, to someone this week? And I'm going to wait. How did you show agape this week? How would you do it? I think, I think everybody's just laughing so they can avoid the topic because you don't want to talk about how you love people this week. We are in the book of first. We're in the book of First John. We are halfway through our sermon series, and uh, we're going to continue to hammer in. And we are talking about being light, being light, and being love, and all of those good things. Now, in the it is. Are you guys warm out there? You guys are warm. Okay, we're going to fix that. Okay. Do you do you know how it's. It's a little bit cantankerous. You might have to just, yeah, you have fun with that, Rebecca. Um, so uh, I'm a little bit warm. I'm sweating up here, too. Um, so we, uh, how many of you lived through the 90s? Yeah. Some of you are like, wait, hold on. Gee, were you born in that? When were you born? Shut your face. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, so in the <laughs> in the '90s, there was this big thing that was going around, and everybody had bracelets and T-shirts and necklaces and dog tags, and they all said the same thing: WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And we owned the T-shirts, and we wore the bracelets, and there was a song written about it. And so, what we would do is we'd go to church camp, and they'd start talking to us, and they'd go. Okay, well, before you, when you get in that situation at school, man, when your friend's offering you those drugs, you just look at your bracelet and you go, oh, what would Jesus do? And you say no to drugs. Or if you're with your girlfriend and you're sitting in the backseat of the car, which you shouldn't be in the backseat anyways, nothing good happens in the backseat, stay out of the backseat. And you're in the backseat of the car. <laughs> and you're looking at her and she looks all pretty and you put your arm up around her, you go see that bracelet. And that bracelet's going to remind you, what would Jesus do? Jesus would get out of the back seat. He'd stop. That's what he'd do. <laughs> and, you, uh, and you're in school, and you, see, and you see that big, mean bully, and he's picking on that band geek for wearing the plume, and, and all that it wasn't me at all. And so then when you look at that bracelet, and you say, what would Jesus do? And Jesus is going to fight for the band geek. And we asked ourselves that, and we used it as a mantra, and, um, and DC Talk helped us remember that we were supposed to look and see, what would Jesus do? That was the question that we would ask ourselves. And so, as we dig in today to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-6, through 6, we're going to be asking ourselves a little bit like the question from the 90s, what would Jesus do? We stand for the reading of God's word this morning from the book of 1 John 
I am never warm, and I am warm today. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Now, I wanted, we, I use the New Living Translation to preach, and here's the reason why I do it. The New Living Translation is like a commentary. Do you guys know what a commentary is? Most of you? Okay, so what did it, I'll just tell you, because then you don't have to feel awkward going, I don't know what a commentary is. Um, so a commentary, pretty much what you can do is you can look at a verse of the Bible, you can go to the commentary, and the commentary will tell you what it means. It's fantastic. There's lots of really good, uh, good ones out there. So if you're ever doing a Bible study and you're like, well, I would like to know more, like the men's Bible study that meets on Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m., um, every once in a while, Don will come borrow one of those off my shelf because it's good, right? It tells us what those verses mean. The New Living Translation of the Bible acts a little more like a commentary than it does a literal translation of Scripture. So if you want a literal translation, you're going to go get the ESV or you're going to get a NASB, a New American Standard Bible. Those things are going to be more like word-for-word translations. The New Living Translation is going to tell you more what it means. And that's super helpful for whenever we're preaching to a congregation of people who've been Christians for two minutes and people who've been Christians for 92 years. Like It's nice because it fits in those gaps. And that's the reason that I use it. I'm going to make you stand the whole sermon. You're going to be fine. So dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. The more literal translation of that verse is, don't listen to every spirit that you hear. But this is a lot less confusing, and we'll talk about it here in just a little bit. But I just want to be clear for those of you that have a Bible in your hands and you're reading a different version, you go, that's not what my Bible says. You're right, it doesn't. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world, and this is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claims to be a prophet, acknowledging that Jesus Christ came in real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. How many of you are just triggered? You heard the word Antichrist and you're already triggered by it. Don't you even lie. You need to put your hands up. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won the victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to the world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. So uh, there's a lot of really good things that happen in this passage of scripture. We've talked a whole lot about light. We've talked a whole lot about love. We've talked about a whole lot about the things in between. What does it mean and how does it work? And how do we, how do we expect to live and walk in the light of Jesus Christ? And John does a fantastic job guiding us through all of that. As a matter of fact, you get done with this passage of scripture, you finish with six, you jump into seven, seven through the end of chapter four. He goes back to talking, the next verse is God is love. Like that, he just jumps right back into this idea of God being love. But he takes a moment here to do a little bit of venting. Now, we're used to Paul doing that. As a matter of fact, if you look in, um, I didn't write it down. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think is where it is. I'll look later and tell you the right 
the right uh, verse. But if you look there, Paul is talking about the same thing, but he does it in Paul-esque style, so he's pretty much yelling at you. John's not yelling at you here. John starts out the passage, dearly beloved. We talked about that, right? He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. In other words, he acknowledges the love of God in everything, and because of that, John's tone is much softer than Paul's is. Paul's usually just angry. It's fine. I understand being an angry Jesus person. It's okay. But John doesn't come to us from that direction. He comes to us from a loving, kind, I want you to get this, I want you to know, because it's going to change your life. But here, John is a little bit frustrated. Actually, he's a lot frustrated because there's a group of people pretending that they know who Christ is. They're speaking on behalf of Christ, but they don't believe the way that Christ taught them to believe. They're not living into the Gospels. And John does this great thing. He does it all throughout 1 John. And so you see it in multiple different ways in multiple different times. If you go back and you read the whole entire chapter, you're going to see he does it over and over and over again. He does what is called ethical dualism. And he takes the two sides of the coin and he shares each one. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to see it because he wants you to understand that these two things are not compatible. You can't love Jesus and love the world. You can't do both of those things. They're incompatible. They cannot get married. They can't even be in a relationship. Quit kissing on the world. If you love Jesus, it doesn't work. You have to choose a side. So it's very black and white. And so he walks through this in verses 2 and 3. He talks about how, well, here, this is how we know that we have the Spirit of God. If a person is claiming to be a prophet and acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. So the issue that they're really dealing with is the fact that people did not believe that Jesus could be fully human and fully God. And we believe that's true, right, church? Yeah, and if you don't believe it, come talk to me, because it really is kind of a deep theological issue. It makes no common sense. There is no rationale. And so what they were trying to do is they were trying to make a rational understanding of who Jesus was. And they go, okay, we couldn't have been in a real body because our real bodies are evil. That's Gnosticism. Like, their real bodies are evil. So Jesus couldn't have had a real body because this is evil. Um, and, and so they tried, to, they tried to mix the terms up. And he said, you can't do that. Either you have the Spirit of God in you, or you have the spirit of an antichrist or the antichrist. That's what's in you, one of those two spirits. And then he goes on in verse 6. He does another one of these things, another ethical dualism. But we belong to God. Those who know God listen to us. If they don't belong to God and they don't listen to us, um, that is how we know that someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception or the spirit of truth versus the spirit of falsehood. Those are the two things that compare out. You cannot live in the truth of Jesus Christ and be living in the lies of the world. You can't do both. You have to pick. Am I going to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? He's it. End of discussion. There's nothing else. That's it. It's Jesus. Or am I going to believe that the world is the right way to go and believe the falsehoods and the lies that the world tells me? But you can't live in the middle. Verse 4 but you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won the victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. This one's easy. There is a spirit that lives in you, 
which is the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, spirit of light, the spirit of love, the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of mercy, that spirit of Jesus Christ, that spirit of God lives in you, or the spirit of the world lives in you. Again, you can't, you can't mix and match them. You can't go, well, I'm going to be a little bit over here in the world. I'm going to be a little over here in Jesus. I'm just going to be right fine. And, and God says, I just spew you out of my mouth. Like, you're disgusting. Don't do that. You can't live in both places. And the last one happens in verse 1 and 5. So we'll start in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit or do not believe every spirit that speaks. You must test them to see if the spirit that they have comes from God. There's many false prophets in the world. When we jump down to five, it says, For those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. So the question is, are you listening to God, or are you listening to what the world has to say? Again, you have to choose. And so this ethical dualism has, happens. We've got the spirit of God versus the spirit of the Antichrist. We have truth or falsehood. We have either the one who is in you or the one who is in the world. We either have God, the message is from God, or the message is from the world. Those are the things that we have to navigate through, and they're really difficult to do. Sometimes it's really hard. It's hard to tell what is from the world and what is from God, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about how you figure it out. How do you figure out what's from God, and how do you figure out what is from the world? First, we're going to deal with the big, ugly monster in the passage, the word antichrist. I need water for this one. So we have um, a lot of really poor theology about, out there about antichrist and about what that means. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> I mean, this is good. We're going we're gonna to get here. So first of all, um, when we look at this term, we talk about, John is not talking about the Antichrist from the book of Revelation. That is not what he's talking about. That focuses on the eschatological figure. So the end times figure, the, the one who is going to be the Antichrist that we find in the end times, that is not the terminology that John is using here. It's different terminology. Um, this fall, we're going to do a study um, that I'm really excited about called Reading Revelation Responsibly. And I'm not going to dig into a lot of that today, but I will tell you this. Whenever we are Christians, it is our job to read Scripture responsibly. We do not get to make up things because it's somebody in the 18th century made up a doctrine that is poor and, and sick. We listen to the word of God, we hear the word of God, and we make decisions based upon that. In Revelation, how many of you are like, it's really hard to understand anyways? Yeah, dude, it's really hard to understand. And most of the time, when people come up to me, mainly Brandon Swafford, and he's not here today, so I can pick on him, mainly Brandon Swafford, do you think this is the end times, pastor? Do you think Jesus is coming back? And I'll look at him and go, well, I don't know. I don't really care. I, and that sounds terrible, but that's the truth. When we think about the fact that the Antichrist will come, that the end of the world will happen, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be a lot of mess in between that we are going to have to live through, or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren or somebody way down the road that we don't even know is going to have to live through. But whenever we look at this passage, John says the Antichrists are here already, and Jesus says it too. So 
First of all, but this passage specifically is not about the Antichrist from the book of Revelation. So go ahead and wipe that out of your mind because we're not doing a Revelation study today or a sermon on that. We're, we're passing that by. The second thing is John is not talking about false messiahs. Um, so if you look at Matthew, actually, Jesus, this, um, this passage is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It shows up three different times um, where Jesus has this conversation. And this is what he says. Then if anyone tells you, this is Jesus again, red letter words. If anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For the false messiahs and false prophets will rise up. They'll perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother going to go and look. Oh, look, he's hiding here. Don't you believe it? For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines in the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows that there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Jesus is talking about false messiahs, which are a totally different thing than the Antichrist that John is talking about in this passage. False messiahs will rise up and say, here I am! I am the Messiah! Look at me! But we as Christians know the truth from falsehood, right? We understand what scripture says. The truth is, Jesus is the one and only forever Messiah, end of discussion, no more to come. There will never be anyone who is going to come and save your soul. Jesus already did it. And we live in a world full of really um, gullible people. And we'll believe anything. If we see it on Fox News or CNN, we'll go, oh yeah, that's the truth. Instead, we are called to look at scripture and say, what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to be in the know, then you need to be in the word. Now, we have to look down and we go, okay, so how are we supposed to look at this passage whenever it talks about antichrists? Here's the thing. These people really thought they were Jesus lovers. They did. They thought that they, now I, I, need, you to, I need you to grasp this because the sermon is going to fall flat. You're going to go home and not be changed at all by the word of God for the people of God if you don't listen to this part. The people in the scripture, the antichrists, oh, really strong word, they thought they were doing the right thing. They believed wholeheartedly that what they thought about Jesus was true. They believed that Christ was who they thought he was. And they had done research. They had looked at scripture. And they started pulling people alongside because doesn't, uh, well, if we've seen nothing over the last year, we have definitely seen that conspiracy loves company. And so all of these conspiracies have gathered together, and they want all of this company to come and join them. And John says, you are in the wrong. He's calling them on it, which is exactly what we're supposed to do. We talked about that several weeks ago. If we're walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, then we are holding each other accountable to what the truth really is, right? These people thought that what they were saying was true and was right, or they wouldn't have done it. They weren't trying to deceive people. 
And yet, John uses this really strong term for them, antichrists. Because if you are not for Christ, the Christ who is mentioned in the Gospels, if you, if you don't look at the Gospels and you read that Jesus and you go, I'm all about that Jesus, that one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the Jesus that I'm about. That's the Jesus that I'm going to follow. That's the Jesus I'm going to believe in. If you don't look into the Gospels and really dig in, then you are not going to be able to see who the true Jesus is. And we have a really hard time with going, well, man, I don't think Jesus would. We don't care what you think. We don't care what you think. We care what the scripture says, right? What does the Bible say about that topic? What does scripture tell us about who Jesus is? So if we are going to be discerning the message of Jesus, if we are going to be for Christ and not anti-Christs, then we have some work that we have to do in our own hearts and lives. Now, nobody wants to leave this building today and go, Pastor Rachel called me an antichrist. Well, maybe you are. Maybe there are things in me that have been antichrist-like. It's a very strong word, but it should seek and dig into our souls. It should transform us. It should cause us to want to be in the word so the word can get into us, can transform us so that we can be like Christ. There's a meme that's going around right now on Facebook, or a meme or a gif or whatever it is, I don't know. It says, I'm sorry that the church hurt you, but the church is not Jesus. And I had to let that one like settle in on me for a while. Because there are a lot of people who once upon a time sat exactly where you sit who don't sit there anymore. Years have gone by and now they sit on their couches or or they stay at home, not connecting with a body of believers at all because someone sitting in the seat next to them said something hurtful. Because the church, instead of behaving like the Jesus that we see in the Gospels, got on a high horse and started making claims about what Christ thought or what we think Christ would do that were not in line with the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And these people have been chased out and hurt by the church. It wouldn't happen if we'd stop it. I mean, some people are just really easy to hurt their feelings. But for the most part, if we quit telling people what we think and labeling it with a Jesus name tag, then we probably wouldn't be hurting people the way that we are. Maybe our name tag should say, I'm working really hard to be like Jesus. Have grace with me, I'll have grace with you. So first we ask ourselves, does this person, whenever we're trying to discern, is this thing from Jesus, is this message from Jesus, is this idea from Jesus, first we ask ourselves, does this person speak the truth that Jesus spoke in the Gospels? Does this person speak the truth that Jesus spoke in the Gospels? Now, there's a lot of areas that are black and white. That we can look back to the Gospels and we can see exactly how Jesus said for us to behave. He says for us to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. He says that we are supposed to care for the poor. That we are supposed to walk hand in hand with the widows. He says that we are supposed to give. A tenth of everything that we have, we're supposed to give that back to Jesus. And over and over again, if you read through scripture, man, just jump into the Sermon on the Mount. You can even read it now while I'm preaching. I'm not even going to be offended because it's a better sermon than I'm ever going to give. 
the sermon of Jesus, and we start looking at, we start looking at Luke, the beginning of Luke, and we, and we see this uh, chapter 8. Oh, we're right around there. So you begin in 6. Sorry, that's right. In 6, you get into Luke chapter 6, and you start reading the Sermon on the Mount, and everything that Jesus is saying here, God blesses the poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God, Jesus weeps with those who weep. Sorrow awaits those who are rich and living in it because your happiness is now. Mm. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Get the log out of your eye before you start picking at people's splinters. This is the new revised Rachel version. You're not going to find that in there. And whenever we go back to the Gospels, we start reading those words in red. You guys have red letter? I love red letter Bibles. It's kind of old school, but I love it. I love to just open it up and be like, this is what Jesus said. And we start reading through those words of Christ. We ask ourselves, am I a good tree? Am I bearing good fruit? Am I being the salt of the earth? Is my foundation built on Christ? And I start asking myself those questions as I read through the Gospels, and I find truth there. And the world starts telling me things that I want to believe. Oh, y'all ready to have your toes stepped on? You better pick them up off the floor. Jesus doesn't care how you vote. Now, that is nobody's amening, right? Nobody's going to amen to that one. If you read through the Gospels of Jesus Christ, he gives us lots and lots and lots of ideas of how we are supposed to behave as Christians in a world that is not Christian. When you have a president that declares, I am the chosen one, then you begin to realize you're in serious trouble. When you start labeling politicians with the label of Jesus, but they're not behaving like it, you are ostracizing the world from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. When you look at the policies of either politician that ran for president this last time around, and I know people who voted on both sides that are sitting in the seats, it might be somebody next to you. And you look at both of them, and you look at their policies, and you look at what they stand for, and there are glimpses of the gospel on both sides. There are glimpses of the gospel on both sides. But what we've done as a church is we've caused the world to hate us. We have caused the world to despise us because we care more about who you vote for than who you follow. We care more about where you cast your ballot and who you cast it for than a Jesus who declares we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Not as Trump is in the light, not as Biden is in the light. We are to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. Oh, church, you are missing out on the greatest truth of Jesus Christ, and you are missing out on what it means to be Christ-like disciples, to be for Christ when you make your life for whoever it is you voted for. As a matter of fact, when we begin labeling politicians with the, with the name tag Jesus, then we are anti-Christ. We are fighting against the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We are making someone out to be God-like, and nobody gets that status but God. Nobody gets that status but God. How do we discern the message? 
We read the Gospels. The second one, how do we discern the message of Jesus? We ask ourselves, am I walking in the light as Jesus is in the light? And if so, how can I tell? That might be a good question for you to ask yourselves in your life groups this week. If I am walking in the light as Jesus walked in the light, am I doing that? And how can I tell if I'm doing that? Again, there is beauty in accountability. When I mess up, I want somebody to tell me. Right now I'm doing a book study with something called the Enneagram. It's very interesting. Um, We took the test, and so I'm going to pick on Karen for a minute. I didn't tell her I was going to do this. Karen is a six on the Enneagram, and I am an eight. Eights love a good fight. They like, I mean, they get energy from sitting down and having hard conversations with people. We just really enjoy that. And how many of you go, she is nuts? She's lost her mind. I don't want to have any hard, no, more than three people. I know y'all. Don't even act like that. (laughs) You don't want to have any fights with me, right? You don't want to fight me about it. Um, But we, we just get energized. The other thing is, don't ever lie to me to make me feel good. I hate that. Like, it's just part of my personality type. I do not want to be lied to to make me feel good. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. If I hurt your feelings, I am really bad at guessing. I am horrible at it. Like, literally, you could post something on Facebook that has my name, and I'd be like, oh, I wonder what Rachel that was. Like, I, I am that oblivious. I'm that oblivious. If I hurt your feelings or I do something, I do not want to live in that world. I just really don't know it. I don't see it. And then you've got sixes like Karen, who, um, who know all the things. She can walk into a room and magically tell you how every person is feeling. And I'm like, how do you know how people feel? And she, she can. She can walk into my office, and I haven't said anything all day, and she goes, what's bothering you? I can tell you're really upset today. I was like, I didn't do anything to, fine, I'll tell you. But <laughs> she knows. She, she has this ability to see and to discern. I love, love working with Karen. And the reason that I love it is because we are complete opposites. Actually, Karen and I are complete opposites too. We are just complete opposites in our personality types. We're very different from one another. It doesn't make one wrong or one right. It means that we are able to call each other back into the light of Jesus Christ because we see things through a unique perspective. If you are living in a world where you go, I can be a Christian all by myself. Bedside Baptist, you know who you are. You're not here because the people who are here are not Bedside Baptist. So like, you think, oh, I can just sleep in on Sunday mornings. Not a big deal. I can read my Bible every day, and I'm going to be in a great relationship with the Lord. No, if you want to walk in the light as Jesus was in the light, you have to be walking with other people who are going to be honest with you about where you live. They're going to tell you the truth. They're going to love you enough to look at the Gospels, look at the word of Jesus, and look at your life and go, there are things that aren't lining up here. You are behaving anti-Christ in this thing that you're doing. Y'all going to make some new friends calling him Antichrist, by the way. I just want you to know that. And then we just have to ask ourselves, are we behaving like Antichrist? The moment that we attach Jesus' name to our belief system, and it's con- contrary, to s- contrary to Scripture, we are behaving like Antichrists. 
Now, there's a lot of things that people have said and told me over the years that have been more hurtful than helpful in my Christian walk. Have you guys been there? Yeah. People have, have decided they're going to get on a rampage about something or other. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. It just has to do with how they feel. Or it might be something, and, this, and then it goes back. Okay, I want you to get this. Are you ready to get this? The people in 1 John, in Ephesus, they thought for sure they were in the right. Now I want you all to shake your heads if you're right. Mm-hmm. No, you start shaking your heads. You know you are. You know you're right. Uh-huh, you're not. You're not always right. But we believe it about ourselves. And that's why this sermon is so hard to preach, because we're all going to leave going, man, I am for Christ. <laughs> Look at every area of my life, man. I'm following after Jesus. I'm doing everything that Jesus asked me to do. But we have blinders on. We can't see the whole picture. So we have to really dig deep. We have to dig deep and we have to ask ourselves are their behaviors and attitudes are there are there concerns am I getting real excited about things that I don't need to get real excited about most of the time like is that me and how do I take that misalignment and line it back up with the ways of Jesus how do I how do I surround myself with people who are going to call me on it and love me enough to tell me? How am I going to spend time, make time, make time, make time to be in the word, to be in the gospels and ask myself honest questions. Am I bearing good fruit? Am I clothing the naked? Am I planting seeds? Am I loving my neighbor above all else? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe this is the new question that we need to ask ourselves today. Instead of wearing bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? Maybe we need to walk into situations and go, Am I loving my neighbor? Oh, when I, when I post this angry thing on Facebook, am I loving my neighbor? Even that neighbor. Yeah, that one. Y'all know who I'm talking about. You know that neighbor, right? You got that neighbor. I got that neighbor. We got that neighbor. Is this thing that I'm saying loving my neighbor? Is this action, this way I'm behaving, is it loving my neighbor? We'll start wearing bracelets. Get it tattooed on our foreheads backwards, and when we look in the mirror, we'll see it. Am I loving my neighbor? Because some of us need it to be that obvious. <laughs> Am I loving my neighbor? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I, I know there's a lot going on today. <laughs> and I don't even know that I preached it well. Like, I really don't. I don't know if the word that got into me while I was preparing this message got out in a way that was very effective. But what I do know is I desperately want this church to be a true representation of who Jesus is. And I want it for your life, too. Man, there is nothing better than living a life that is in alignment with the life of Jesus. Right? We can agree to that? We're going to sing, Great Are You, Lord. And, and as we sing that today, that's what we're singing, right? I didn't mess it up this time. Okay. 
we're going to sing, Greater You, Lord. And as we do that, I just want you to stand, and I want you to ask yourself, Lord, is this, is this truly, honestly, am I living a life that truly, honestly is for Christ in every way? Are there any anti-Christ behaviors in my heart or my life that would cause somebody to not come to Jesus because of the way I'm behaving? Am I scaring people off? Am I chasing them away? And I love you, every single one of you. And I believe wholeheartedly that you do not believe that you're doing that. And I'm not preaching this sermon for any, like, like literally, I have no one in mind. You know your own hearts and minds. Is there anything in my life that's chasing people off from Jesus because I have taken a stand on something that is not in the Gospels? Maybe you don't want to confess that, but today's the day to confess it. Today's the day to be transformed. As John said, dearly beloved, dearly beloved, you're loved. We don't want you to live like that. Not be trapped like that. Let's stand and sing. And if you want to come, if you, if you want to bring something before the Lord today, I'd just invite you. The altars are open. Let's praise the Lord today. Heavenly Father, we just want to walk in the light as you are in the light. We want to live our lives for Christ in every way and every avenue. Help us this week to be mindful of things that we are sticking a Jesus name tag on that maybe don't really look like Jesus. Will you dig up those attitudes and in us that don't really look like Jesus either? Help us to be reminded this week in every person we encounter, every negative thought that we have, every unforgiving spirit that rises up in us, may we ask ourselves the question, am I loving my neighbor? Am I living the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave us? Oh Lord, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in your name. Amen. The benediction today comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. People of T.C. Naz, don't be fooled. You're better than that. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So go today and live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good, what is right, and what is true. Amen.